I was worried I wasn't going to get an intro, and then I was going to get some authentic frowns and puzzled looks. Luckily, it's all going to be smiles. <laughs> all right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for air conditioning. <laughs> thank you uh, for this community. Thank you for the rain that you have sent us. And Lord, we invite you into this space, and God, I welcome your words to come through me and ask that the, what we hear um, would, be, uh, would be handled well, that we wouldn't get hung up on how things were said, but instead we would be faced with a challenge to um, enter into conversation with each other, uh, to ask good questions, uh, and to seek you and to seek your truth um, through all those things. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so, we're in James. Um, oh, and really quick, if anybody gets cold, um, there are a few blankets around too, if you need to have a blanket. This is like so nice for me. It's very weird. <laughs> it's very weird. Um, so, <clears throat> just to, to recap a little bit from last week, Russ spoke with you about James. And James is a guy kind of with a hard nose. But Russ invited us to kind of think about the larger context of things. So he invited us back into Genesis, Adam and Eve in the garden, and God is in relationship with them. He, he walks with them in the cool of the evening. So you have this scene of community, and Adam and Eve have jobs. They're servants. They tend the garden. They follow God's moral code. There is really no problem with, with what's happening because it's what they were meant to do. So that's the image that I kind of start with, and then the enemy comes and says that God is a liar, and that the reason that God is lying to us is that he wants to hold Adam and Eve down. And so I think about what that's like for myself, and this is the lie that I hear, and this is what what Russ had said. The big lie is, you are not everything that you ought to be. The way that you get to be more than what you ought is by violating God. So Adam and Eve uh, are no longer servants of God. They are servants um, to the world, or they're, they're servants to something else, something else, but they're not servants to God. And we look back into the, um, into the Old Testament, a um, lot of examples of people killing each other, um, cheating on their spouses um, in order to somehow... Um, build themselves up. So they're destroying relationships in order to build themselves up. So just despite the law, um, they're, they're, just, they're just kind of doing their own thing. And that is pretty true for, for me in my life, and, and, and maybe it is for, for some of you in your own life. Uh, but we look back even at uh, Leviticus, and the Levitical law invites us not to show favoritism. And that is kind of what we're going to be talking about today in James. So James levels the playing field, um, and he erases kind of the distinctions between, uh, between Jew and Greek. So if you have a Bible nearby, um, we're going to read out of James's Codex, um, James chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can uh, just listen along. This is James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. 
If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here or sit at the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promised those who love him that you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Merciful, Mercy triumphs over judgment. <clears throat> so there's a lot here, and I had some difficulty with this, and I also had a little bit of fun with it. So James makes a distinction between rich and poor, and it reminds me of a story of when I was living in Seattle, and it was a cold, wet Seattle day, which it typically is, and I was in grad school. And a friend of mine invited me to his church, and a, a friend of his was kind of starting their own church, and it was in the upstairs part of this kind of strange uh, kind of commercial building, and we had seven people there for the service, and we had Neil on this really hard floor. And this was a time in my life where I was in school, so all of the income that I had was student loans. So I was borrowing all the money that I had from the government. So I was really, really careful with the things that I spent my money on. And there was this man that was another one of the seven at the service, whose name was also Corey, coincidentally, and he was homeless. And as the service finished, they had an offering. And they sent the offering plate by all seven of us. And, um, you know, I, I took it and I kind of just passed it along. I figured, you know, I'm visiting at this church and I'm poor because, you know, I'm a student and, you know, whatever, I'm eating ramen noodles, kind of that kind of mentality. And Corey, this, this man from the street, he reached into his bag and he pulled out a handful of coins and he put it in the plate. And I, <laughs> I felt so convicted by this. I knew it wasn't an expectation uh, of me to, to, to tithe or to give to this church. Um, but man, when I saw somebody that I had so many assumptions about give generously, I, I was really torn up about that. And he gave because he was faithful. Faithful because he was given this money from God and he was returning it to God as an act of faith. And... I kind of thought that I was beyond that because I was so poor. And that, that was really the mentality that I was in. And so what I learned from that is that it, it, didn't, it didn't matter how much uh, any of us gave. And I'm not trying to plug tithing here. That's a whole other conversation. I'm not, I'm not saying you all should give or, or give more, or give less or, or anything. Um, but what I'm saying is it didn't matter if he gave uh, whatever, 10% or 20%, whatever it was, 
what mattered was that he was giving in faith and he was trusting the, the process of giving something back so that something better can be created or something better can be supported. And there's kind of this idea of the more money you give to church, maybe the more you uh, can... Um, the, the word vote kind of comes to mind. or It's almost like being a lobbyist. Um, you know, I really need um, the toilet in the men's room to not wiggle, so I'm going to give $120 so that we can get a new toilet. And that's really not the way that it works. Instead, if I feel led to give that money, then, you know, we should trust, trust church leadership and trust the process of maybe replacing that toilet or you know, giving that money some, somewhere else. Anyway, so I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. So there's, a, there's part of the scripture in James that talks about, um, you know, the rich dragging you into court. And that's kind of how I see it uh, playing out, is ma- making kind of dictati- dictating some big ideas in the church. And that's really not how it works. This does not make us able to police others. But anyway, so this Corey... He really represented Corey as much better than I was. And that, that really, really stuck with me. And that was maybe five years ago. And then I think about us. I think about the village. I think about um, all of you. And some of us have large incomes and some of us have no incomes and the rest of us are somewhere in between. And there's this perceived value that if you sit next to somebody that has a lot of money, it will somehow make us feel better about ourselves. At least it is for me. It's like, a fi- it's like financial osmosis. It's like I'm going to somehow glean some sort, of, uh, some sort of happiness by sitting next to somebody wealthy. But we're all in village chairs. We're, we're all in the living room setup. And so I think that that's what James is inviting us to, is kind of leveling the, pl- leveling the playing field. And it's an illusion. The, this, whole, uh, this whole wealth thing is an illusion. And what I believe that James is talking about in terms of richness is relational richness. Um, a, a story from a long time ago, when I was early in my marriage, I asked, um, you know, we, Sue and Eric were pouring into us here, here and there. And I remember asking Eric, you know, who pours into you? And I, I had this image of marriages and all, all of our lives kind of being represented at, by beakers, you know, like those big glass cylinders kind of that we use in chemistry lab. And uh, for those of us that have kind of high capacity or have been uh, blessed really well, can pour into others. And uh, with self-care and with asking God, we can uh, kind of fill up our own beakers. And so this is how I imagine relational um, wealth. So when James speaks about shaming the poor man in filthy clothes, making him sit at our feet, I think he's speaking about the missed opportunity that we have to engage in the richness that is a person's spirit and their story and their beaker that may be more full than we think. So just to follow up that first story, I, I, I talked to Corey after, and all of my assumptions about him were wrong. They were so, so, so wrong. And I feel sad about that. I feel sad that I just jumped to the, all those conclusions, like, you know, he's on the street for whatever reason that I imagine in my mind. Um, but if we can turn to Matthew chapter 5, um, Jesus talks about this also. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Another translation says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they are needy, and theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I love this. I love the idea of, of being needy. And if you remember from a few weeks ago when Rod had uh, described, maybe in more detail than I would have hoped, um, the agony of trying to get a baby to sleep. Um, that is a needy moment for me. That is when I'm saying, God, I am poor in spirit, I am needy, and I am longing for the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know what that looks like. Sometimes it looks like my baby falling asleep, and I get to go to sleep right away. Sometimes it's a few hours, and there's joy seasoned throughout that experience. So I'm wondering what it is for you when you all feel needy, and you say, God, I'm needy, and where is my blessing? So society tells us about what it means to be rich. Uh, my, my parents have used the term financially established, and I remember being like a 15-year-old, and I asked for a leather jacket, and I was living in Phoenix, so it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. And uh, <laughs> my mother said, you can have a leather jacket when you're financially established. I remember really being rubbed the wrong way from that, and now I have a job, and I'm like, well, maybe I can buy myself a leather jacket, and now, whatever, it's 15 years later, and I'm wise enough to realize that a leather jacket uh, is neither practical and something I cannot pull off. So um, what it means to be rich from society may be something that our parents told us. It may be appearing put together. I know I'm definitely guilty of that. Uh, if you look good, you are good, or if, or if you feel good, you are good. Um, in these moments, though, that we are trying our best to, to look like we have it all together, we're not coming before God and saying, God, I am needy. Instead, we're saying, I'm good right now. Everything is in, in line. I don't need you. And I, I can just take it from here. And, and James is, uh, is telling us otherwise, uh, that to, to be needy is to receive a blessing. So imagine the, the goodness contained in that brokenness, in that needy time. You can admit to God that you're poor in spirit, and God will promise that the kingdom of heaven is yours. He can build you up, and he can say, I will do this with you. We can do this together. And all throughout Scripture, it tells us that we are created in the image of God. So the currency of wealth is not money. It is the, the idea that we are image bearers. So... Who we are is more important to God than what we do or what we produce. And thank you, God, for that because performance is not going to last forever. We're not all going to be able to produce at our jobs or live up to certain expectations because we're going to be faced with a whole lot of things. So James also says, do not show favoritism. Last week, Russ talked about our duty as servants is to obey God no matter what and no matter how long it takes. And it's important that we're uh, self-aware in our everyday lives. So here's kind of a, a mid-sermon challenge, which is to think about how you feel and write it down when you feel most insecure, you feel most uncomfortable, just kind of going through your week. Especially when it comes to making judgments about others. So I work as a chaplain over at St. Joe's, and part of my routine is 
I go into the office, I sit down on my computer, I print a list of all the patients that are on my floor, and it has their name, it has their age, it has their admitting diagnosis, and it has their uh, preferred religion. So when they come into the hospital, they ask you, they say, well, what, what's your religious preference? And it's listed on my little census. So when I go out to the floor, I know a little bit about my patients. So already I'm set, I'm set up for disaster. And there's an illusion that I'm set up for success. Like I, I have a little bit of inside information and you know, we, can, we can start five steps ahead if I know that you know, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, let's just jump right into the Gospels and praise the Lord together. But in reality, I'm making judgments and this information is not that helpful. And so I kind of kick myself when I think, oh, well, this person has so many differences than me, it's going to take way more work to bless them. And that's just such a lie. The truth is, is that we are both image bearers of God. And that's really all that we need to have an interaction that is beautiful. And the best interactions that I have at my job are with people that are very, very different than me. When we discriminate, we are guilty of lawbreaking. The, the little title in my Bible, in, the, in James, uh, on chapter 2, says, Favoritism forbidden. And when I read that, I, I was thinking about those signs that you see like outside of power plants. Say like, danger, shocking, or, or high electricity, uh, or uh, quicksand. Something like that. And my first thought is, all right, we're jumping this fence. Like, we're going in. But God has made these signs for us and invited us not to show favoritism because it's really for our own good. And I don't know how many of you have trespassed, um, but it's really not a good idea uh, for, for whatever reason. So an example is, is from Jesus where he, he shows, he demonstrates um, an absence of favoritism, and it's in John's Gospel, chapter 4. This is uh, something that you'll likely um, find familiar. Uh, John chapter 4, verses 7 through 15. Uh, listen along here. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So here is Jesus fraternizing with a Samaritan woman. Very different. If they get caught, uh, she will likely be stoned and to death. But he offers her peace. And in response, she receives it. So the result is relationship. And the result of the relationship is transformation. And the result of transformation is community. 
So you start up here with um, this interaction where you're not showing favoritism, and you end up down here in community. So imagine this being our world. Imagine this being our country. A couple of months ago, I was in Goodwill, and I saw a guy with a Seattle Seahawks shirt. And um, we kind of passed each other. It was right at the door. And I said, go Hawks. And he looked at me, and he said, go Hawks. And that was our whole conversation. And maybe 20 minutes later, I was over by the hats, and he found a Seattle Sounders hat. That's the soccer team in Seattle. And I said, good find. And he said, right? (laughs) So, a couple of things. One, (laughs) what was the feeling that you had when I admitted to you that I am a Seahawks fan? Did your heart jump with joy? Or did you cringe with disgust? Looking for you, Mike Wise. <laughs> Broncos fans. <laughs> um, but Jesus unites us all with uh, the jump for joy. What's that? Oh, yeah. I did. I did spare him. <laughs> so Jesus changes us from the mentality where we say, I can't believe you think that way, to... Thank you for being a part of the body of Christ. I love you. Please come to my house for dinner. So the outcome of following God's law as a servant is actually freedom, especially in relationship with others. So in Acts uh, chapter 10, Peter finally gets this. He finally finally clicks for Peter. I'll just read it real quick. It's uh, chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. It's like it finally clicks for Peter that God doesn't discriminate against us. So we should follow that example, and we shouldn't discriminate against each other. The last point that, that James makes is that mercy triumphs over judgment. So how do we understand others? Well, I believe that we understand others in a similar way that we understand ourselves and that we can test this out by looking in the mirror. Um, When I look in the mirror, uh, it's easy for me to find a little bit more gray in my beard, uh, a few blemishes and wrinkles, more than I had before, and to feel insecure about that. Um, So out of that, the way that I view myself, I view others with a lens of judgment. But God... Um, invites us to having a different kind of lens. Our judgment lens uh, spills out over into the way that we listen to each other or, or not listen to each other, um, who we choose to be our friends, who we choose to sit with after uh, the church service and enjoy dinner with. We're harsh. We're harsh on ourselves, and that spills over. And as a confession, too, you know, I, I like to think of myself as a funny person, and when I meet another funny person, it's like, whoa, who's going to be the funnier person here? And when that person is funny, you know, I want to puff up um, because it's a threat to my own character. And um, it's, it's anger. It's anger and fury that wells up inside me. But <laughs> Thanks, Kelsey. <laughs> but in reality, we're both created in the image of God, and the challenge is to delight in a, another person's humor to delight in another person's character. 
So the delight comes from God's lens of mercy. So I am called to rejoice in others. I am called to be secure in my own identity and to remember that both of us, all of us, are created in God's image. Um, I'm going to tell another story here. I was uh, visiting uh, a patient, uh, a patient's husband, actually, and I asked him about the support that he had, the support of their family. And he said, well, we have 12 Catholics, we have eight Protestants, and we have three Hindus all praying for her. I thought, wow, that's pretty awesome. You got a lot of bases covered. And he went and he talked about how their family all gets along, how they meet for all of the different holidays from all the different traditions, and how it brings them closer together. And I was thinking to myself, this is so beautiful. I want this for my family. And then he said, except jihadists. We hate jihadists. We don't want any jihadists. And I, I was floored by that. Like I did, a, I did like the equivalent of a facepalm without the actual facepalm. Because we're invited to love our neighbor as ourself, even if our, even if our neighbor is violent, even if our neighbor um, doesn't like us. So for a, a man who was really, really, really close to loving his neighbor as himself, uh, the invitation stands. And the invitation is for all of us to really look within ourselves for the things that we don't like, look within our neighbor for those same things, and try to work together uh, for the sake of this invitation. So in Mark chapter 12, <clears throat> the love your neighbor as yourself verse, it's really a, it's, it's a twofold invitation to love ourselves. So when you look yourself in the mirror, if you have one, and to see your wrinkles, to see your gray graying hair, and to say, I love that. I love that about myself. I love that God gave me this body. I love that God has given me a gray beard that people might interpret as wisdom. And to look at your spouse or to look at your friends or um, to look at your parents or your children and say, I love that about them too. I love that my baby can scream and have the ability to scream at two in the morning, that she has the lung capacity to cry out for her father. I know, right? This is triumph. So this, uh, thank you that, for that, that reaction, because James says that, that this is a triumph, a triumph over our own way, over the way of the world. So imagine all of us in the garden, no matter what our um, political uh, beliefs are, no matter what football team we love, no, uh, no matter what our bank account looks like, imagine all of us in the garden together and being a community together. And I, see, I do see that here at the village. I really do. This is a really unique place. So imagine it here in this building offering the same mercy over dinner. Imagine uh, it in each other's homes and in each other's schools, uh, in each other's cars if you're giving each other rides. This is a triumph. So to recap, James makes the distinction between rich and poor. And of course, I'm not claiming to understand poverty fully uh, because as a, as a, as a, grad, a graduate student uh, on loans, uh, there is a, a, a big level of privilege there. So take, uh, believe me when I say I don't fully understand what it's like to be poor, but I do understand a little bit of the feelings of, of uh, the lack of wealth. But the, the recap is that James specifies wealth being of character from the image of God and not from money. And that there is blessing in relationship 
and not in selfish gain by this kind of financial absorption from being near a, a wealthy person. Um, and another recap from him is to discriminate, to discriminate is to break the law. And the punishment of this, this law break is the loss of relationship. And I can't think of anything worse. So servanthood to God's commandments provides uh, us the ability to accept and to be accepted. And last, that mercy triumphs over judgment. So the, our lenses of judgment can change from judgment to mercy on ourselves and on others. And it lets us have a taste of the garden again. So I have a little bit of time if anybody has a question, maybe two or three questions. Let me have a question. Are you too cold for questions? <laughs> hey, thanks. <laughs> yeah, Mark. So Mark said that David at the end of his psalms sometimes says, thank you, um, and, that, and I am needy, yet I am poor and needy, despite being the king and having pretty much infinite wealth, I imagine. Yeah, any other comments or uh, questions? Yeah, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, I think my, my response to that is that humor is a good thing. And to delight in each other and to delight in our gifts uh, is from God. I think that's an invitation from God. And when we find ourselves using some of the gifting that we have, like, like humor... Um, to build ourselves up rather than seeking that from God, I think um, we're doing ourselves a disservice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Sure. So I hear your question as uh, how how can we accept the natural uh, yeah the, yeah the natural pattern matching. Sure. Well, I, I think that if we have too much information to kill curiosity, then our relationships are spoiled. Um, and if we're able to remain curious about each other, regardless of our own um, kind of pre-existing thoughts about them, then we can continue to bless. And I say that with, or do you have a response well, to that so far? The major point you're saying is like, if you keep on your little glasses at the Christmas yeah. then you're not just like, okay, we're going to do this. Then you might think, oh, what do you think we should do? Right. When when you put that down, what will you think? Yeah. And you point out, you point out something really interesting where it, it works re- in the reverse. Now that I understand this person to have similarities to me, I'm making assumptions, and now I'm in trouble again. So if somebody is listed as a, a Christian, it's really still up to me to remain curious about what that means for that person because it's probably not what I assume. And that probably applies to everybody. But if I'm able to remain curious throughout our whole interaction, I think that's my obligation. Yeah, treat you. Hmm. Whatever it is you do, don't make it about yourself. Yeah, right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, well, even in preparing for a sermon, I want it to be entertaining. You know, I want you all to be captivated and interested and, res- and respond accordingly and for us to all know and love Jesus better. And for, for what? For, for me? So you all can thank me. And uh, you know, Colleen was reflecting to me um, a little bit about what my worries were leading up to today. And really reaffirmed the idea that the Holy Spirit's going to speak through me and we're going we're gonna to hear God in different ways. And that's good for the sake of God and not for the sake of me. So, last question, Ron.
Right? You're right. Amen, amen. Let's pray.